Welcome, everyone, to the second uh, recording of the Green Section uh, podcast series today. We're excited to have Bob Becker join us along with uh, Zach Nicolutis. Bob has been uh, the head superintendent at Sayota Country Club. Uh, he's been at Sayota for 22 years. Sayota is going through a course renovation this year uh, under, obviously, Bob's leadership there and um, working with architect Andrew Green. So that's exciting. Zach Nicolutis is an agronomist. He's joining the podcast as well. He's been an agronomist living in the Columbus, Ohio area, covering the central region for the last five years. And Zach was able to drop by Soda recently uh, to really sort of get a you know sneak peek as to what's going on maintenance-wise uh, as we kick off their season. So, Bob, before we really dive into the, the topic that, that we're going to cover today, I've got to tell you, you know, Sayota is always going to have a special place in my heart. Uh, I'm not sure if you remember this, but back in 2017, you would set up golf for myself and my future father-in-law at Sayota. They live in Springfield, Ohio, and and uh, I had a sp- sort of a specific request to you, more so just for hey, is there any way we could play? It was Labor Day weekend. I felt you know really bad asking you for you know to get me set up on on Labor Day weekend, but the reason was because I wanted to ask him for permission to marry his daughter. And I'm like, I got to take him to a nice place. And you were uh, nice enough to accommodate. I don't know if I mentioned, you know, kind of why I was trying to set up golf um, at, at Sayota at a nice place like that on, on a busy Labor Day weekend. We, we played, we had a great day. He, he really had no way of saying no to me at that point because uh, he had such <laughs> a good time. Him. You should have yeah. asked him before. I said, you're going to have to say yes or you can't play. <laughs> <laughs> he he claimed that he had a suspicion, like, because we had played, uh, you know, a bunch of local places in the Springfield area anytime we visited. So I think he was like, something's up. Like, why are we going to Columbus? Why, you know, why? especially Labor Day weekend. I'm like, how can I ask? That was the only time we were going to visit. I'm like, how can I ask yeah. Bob for golf on one of the busiest golf week weekends of the year? And it, it worked out. It was awesome. So thanks for that. Um, that was really yeah, cool. No so now I figured when you, when you said you had something you were going to say, I figured that might've been it. Yeah, I, it was, <laughs> it, it's, it, uh, it was, tricky because actually there was like a ton of rain so i'm like oh great now i'm being a pest saying oh is the course still open and you just sort of said yep you're good to go and thankfully we never never close (laughs) well i'm glad you didn't there there weren't any members out that day because of the rain it it was good because it ended up once um her dad found out we were going to play he started talking to some friends and some relatives so all of a sudden it was just supposed to be him and i playing he's like oh well can my wife's (laughs) brother play can my wife's uncle play i'm like oh boy they really i mean they slowed us down so much i mean it was raining it took like six hours so i'm like thrilled that no one else was out there because it just would have been he would have never let us back on the course <laughs> after that well, they would have so. just made you leave <laughs> yeah. Slowing them up. Yeah. yeah well we we barely made it in we got went to the pro shop we got a bunch of a bunch of swag and stuff a bunch of shirts yeah. so we we at least Great. supported you guys that way cool let's dive into the topic um you know i know you you uh you and zach talk a fair amount um you guys are pretty close to to each other in terms of like where zach's office is and where he lives it's neat to kind of get an inside look uh, at everything that's going on at Sayota. you know with the the renovation process you know i know you guys redid the greens in i think 2007 i'm curious you know what what are sort of the driving forces behind this renovation and how is it sort of different than what you did in years past so, so this re- renovation, we started looking at, we knew we were going to do the irrigation system and the bunkers. Uh, the last time we did the renovation, we did the bunkers first, and then we turned around and did the greens afterwards. So we're really tied into the, 
to the pads. My my grounds chairman, who's who's spectacular and has has great vision. We we asked the members, what can we do or what should we do? We're going to spend all the money on irrigation and the bunkers and have roughly the same thing. So do you want us to look at a restoration, you know, more focused on playability for our membership, you know, being able to bounce the ball on, get in and out of the bunkers. Accessibility was a big one for us because a lot of our members are older. So we just wanted to look at if we were ever going to do anything, we wanted to take a look at, at the entire process. We started to interview architects. We really liked the work that Andrew Green was doing. He'd done a lot of Ross work. So we engaged him to come up with a, with a master plan to at least ask the question first before we went ahead and, you know, you spend two and a half million dollars on an irrigation system. It's like replacing a furnace in your house. Nothing changes. You know, you get the updated and you're good to go. But the big thing was to make sure we got everything on sequence and make sure we do the right things for the membership down the road. It's going to be difficult to tear out these greens because they performed really well. Um, our goal is to try to mimic what we did before, but we are making changes. You know, knowing Andrew Green, he has been so involved in some Ross work recently. Can you just sort of run down the timeline of like, when did you reach out to him? How long did it take for the master plan, the approval process with the membership? Yeah, I, I think we started talking to Andrew, I want to say in two, we met, we talked at a, there was a golf summit down at Streamsong. We, uh, that was kind of the initial conversation, but we've worked through the process with him. He's been fantastic. I, I still don't know how he generates the materials. I mean, Zach has seen his presentations and his his level of detail and where he goes into the history and finds he finds stuff that we don't have. And we have a great historian who he lives this stuff. So being able to bring it all together and show us what we have and then also to do the presentation of what we can be is is, is pretty in, impressive that someone, not a whole company, but an individual can do. It's incredible seeing the work that Andrew's done I mean, going back to his days with McDonald and Son and then what he's done it, you know, with his most recent projects, you know, it, it obviously Inverness not too far away and seeing everything Oak Hill, everything going on in Congressional, obviously not a you know, not, not a, a Ross, Ross, but yeah, incredible work. And then and then when you meet Andrew and talk with him, I mean, just a just a great, great person all around to work with or just you know, sit down and have a conversation with about anything. I I've seen some of the renderings like the, some of the 3D renderings that, that he works. And I, I think a lot of architects are doing more of that, but it's like, how can you say no when you see some of those types of renderings and you're like, that's what we could have? Like, that's really cool. Um, so yeah, he's he's obviously busy. That's why I was curious sort of timeline and how long it took to, to get everything moving. The amazing thing is, is how quickly you can turn things around for presentations and, and how he presents and has conversations with the members. He, he is a, he's a great asset to, he just answers a question. It's a conversation. I mean, it, it's amazing to, and he listens and he he's put stuff in that members have requested, but he's also fought for things that he feels very strongly about, which it, which is good. I mean, he is the architect. He he does know what what we should do. So with the the, the renovation, I'm curious. I, I know it's scheduled to start this summer. What have you done, or were there any aspects of the project that? you know, you kind of fast tracked or tried to complete beforehand to, to just sort of get a jump on things? Yeah, so, so one of the big things we were worried about was how are we going to get, we're doing the irrigation system. We're going to keep a large portion of the golf course alive. We're not going to, we are going to expand and do some work to fairways, but there's big sections of turf that are going to maintain. There's a lot of tee boxes. We are going to renovate the rough. We're going to use tenacity. We're not going to do a a roundup kill, we'll use tenacity. We've got a lot of good grasses out there. We've had good luck with some test plots we've done in the past. So what we did is we need to 
kind of break this up. And historically, we like to do a lot of work ourselves. We know that this project is bigger than anything. I mean, our staff will be a support team, but we won't be able to, to move the dirt that McDonald and Sons can move. All right, they, we need somebody with that short window. So what we did was we evaluated the main line of our irrigation. We decided to keep large portions of it, but we needed to expand it for hydraulics, but we replaced all the valves. And then we plowed all the two wire on the main lines in. We have got to the point, we just finished up a few weeks ago where we have all the valves have been replaced on the main line, all the two wires in place. So when we attack this project, we're gonna go at it in quadrants. 13, 14, 15 is kind of a triangle in the back where we can get started. So we'll be able to take those holes down from the irrigation standpoint. McDonald can do the rough shaping, the greens building, get everything ready to go. Liebold Irrigation is our contractor for irrigation. They're gonna come in and take care of the irrigation. So we'll be able to maintain other areas. So our members can play one through 12, 16 through 18, and that'll start on June 14th. Then after July 4th weekend, we'll go to the, to the back nine and then eventually close the front nine. So the phasing of that. We also took, we had some work to do on eight around our lake and rebuild some walls. And we also had some major work on 17, which we, were, we had to drain the lakes to do that work. Um, we drain them every winter anyways for safety, but we're able to do a lot of that stonework in-house and also with the help of a stonemason and a, a local contractor so we could get a lot of that work finished up. It was just, it was a large project that we did not want to do during the, during the project we were doing because we still need the water. The lake is our main irrigation source. So we, we need that for next summer. So this was the only time we could have done that. Okay, that, that's really neat to, to be able to do things in, in phases like that and still give, you know, give the, the members a place to play this summer where it's not, you know, it's not totally yeah. shut down. Obviously that, that, that does create some logistical challenges, I'm sure with, you know, having holes being renovated in different stages and then still yeah. having to maintain, you know, the standard that you guys are known for. Thinking about the renovation, one of the, just knowing Andrew Green's work in the recent past with, with some other Ross courses, you know, how have tree removals been part of that? We've been on a, we call it our tree management program. We've been on it for, for years here. Back in the 60s, they planted, they planted trees everywhere. And those were, those were fine when they were small trees. Now these things are 60 feet tall, 40 feet wide. And the, the selection back in the 60s wasn't the best. There's a lot of sycamores, locusts. You look at the timeline, they've reached their, the end of their lifespan. A lot of the trees we have removed have been for safety, but we've removed about 2,000 trees from the golf course. Uh, probably the biggest thing for that is it's opened up. You can see the golf course now. And this was all part of a greater plan that had been done. Um, I think they, the club contracted Bradley Klein in 99, and we started this plan that's, that's actually the year I got here. And we've, we've removed these trees throughout. And it, it, it's a more beautiful golf course. There's not a lot of tree removal in Andrew's plan. Most of the corridors have already been opened up. Right, I was going to say, you certainly don't feel like there aren't any trees on the golf course. It's no. just you've I been mean, able you, to selectively remove them. Exactly. And, and you, you've gotten rid of, we've, we say we've taken out the trash. Um, a lot of them. I mean, the only ones that I'll fight very hard for are the ones that affect agronomics. The design mm -hmm. I'll leave up to whoever the architect is at that time and safety will call in an arborist and evaluate the tree and just kind of let everybody work that, you know, that knows their part and have work with that and try to keep it from being a emotional decision and just making it a, a proper decision. 
that's a great way to describe it. There, there, there's obviously emotions associated with trees on golf courses, but there's different ways to describe it. You know, removing the trash I like is, is a good one. You know, I think knowing, knowing the property and knowing what you guys are doing, focusing on tree quality and placement as opposed to tree quantity is, is, is really awesome. And then when we do our, we call it a tree management program because it involves removals and then trimming, but also we've, we've done some planning and we will do, do more planning in the future, but trying to find specimens that will kind of have the right, that will grow in the right area. But then also don't just plant a bunch of trees at the same time. So you don't end up with a bunch of trees that are the same size, the same age, the same species, because who knows what the next bore that rips through that takes out trees. If you have a mono stand, whatever, you, you're going to lose everything. At least you stand a chance of having some diversity out there if, if the next wave comes through. Yeah, I completely agree. In the Northeast where I visit golf courses mainly, it's, it's a lot of those same challenges where there's probably on average like six to 10 different tree species out on golf courses. Like that's not a lot when you think about, you know, 150 acre property and there a lot of them are the same age. And then when you do get, you know, issues, whether it be storm damage or just trees aging, or like you mentioned, the emerald ash borer, things can change pretty quickly. And, you know, this is an opportunity to, to diversify, as you said, diversify the trees that are out there. You know, looking at the greens specifically, re rebuilding the greens, uh, we learned an awful lot about the root zone mix uh, that you used to rebuild the putting greens in 2007. I'm curious, you know, how did you develop that mix in 2007? And, you know, what were some things that you were really focused on? Is that same type of mix being replicated for this project? Well, we went through the process. I do a lot of, I build a lot of test greens. We've done a bunch of, I mean, we we're always testing different grasses out here, but then the one thing the members asked for in the committee were, we want the greens as firm as possible. Going through the process thinking, okay, my thought process was, okay, well, who has the firmest greens you ever played on? And that was a question I asked a bunch of people, like why? Actually, Kingsley, we have a few members that are up there. Uh, when I talked to the superintendent, he said, well, to be honest, they're, it's just a dirty mix. It's what was here. We shoved it around. We're on a big sandbar. that allows. It. So that was when we started to look at, okay, we have to find a way to introduce soil into these greens. So we built some test greens. Our golf professional at the time, it came from Whisperock, and they used Profile down there, the porous ceramic. We knew that that was probably going to be a component. He was very involved in the process. But profile for me was what was going to give me the performance characteristic, the aeration porosity to allow me to add the soil into the blend to dirty the mix up, slow it down. So we did a lot of different, I think we did six different blends. Um, we grew them in. We did a lot of testing. We worked with Norm Hummel at the time. So what we settled on was an 811 sand soil profile, which turned out to be a, a very firm mix, a very high CU, did give us the plain characteristics that we needed with the firmness that they, they desired. When we've went through this, we, we tried to, with this process, with the new greens, I didn't want to just sit back and say, well, it worked before, we're just going to do the same exact thing. So we went through the whole process again. We built test greens. We, we tried to find, we went back to the source. We found the sand. Luckily, we tested it. We found a soil that was very similar and the, the profile doesn't change. So then we, we built test greens again out of it. We grew them in. We tested. We did our own independent testing and then also the testing out there. And we, we sent them away. And we feel pretty good that we're, we're close and going to be able to kind of recreate that. Probably the biggest change we will have is the variable depth mix. The construction methods from 2007 to now are, I, I can't believe they can do what they can do when they 
filled. We will do the variable depth mix on, on the low spots. And we have a few bumps out there where we've added four inches of mix and those, those work pretty well. Yeah. Seeing how well the putting greens performed at, at the 2016 senior open, as well as for daily play when I've, when I've stopped by, I mean, I remember, I mean, it was certain for those first three days, we'll, we'll, we'll forget about what happened on Sunday with all the rain, but with those first three days, I mean, just seeing the firmness we were recording with the true firm kept, you know, working with Mike and Seth, you know, as they were hand watering, I mean, turf health certainly wasn't in jeopardy, just seeing the firmness you're able to generate from a, from a day-to-day standpoint. I mean, it's, it's just, it's so impressive. It's like anything I really come across in my travels. That's for sure. That seems like everybody's always chasing that, the firmness. Yeah. I think it's one of those things. I mean, especially the consistency of the firmness, you know, you get into one of their stretches where maybe maybe you're not quite as hot or you go into one of those stretches where the weather is mild and you're dry. It gives you a little bit of, it gives you an opportunity to, to push them from a firmness standpoint, but that balance mm-hmm. of that, you know, from the moisture or from the moisture stress standpoint, what you guys are able to do and still able to deliver the firmness. I mean, especially when you get into that, cause October is when you guys have your fall SWAT, correct? Yeah. It's yeah. It's and just we get way. the perfect, perfect storm there. Yeah. <laughs> I think the parking lot's softer at that point of the year. So, yeah, the, the one thing in the renovation that we're really going to focus on is trying to firm our approaches up. Unfortunately, now we have very steep approaches, but when, when Andrew drops these down in, we're going to have a, a, a chance to, to firm those up. What we're going to do is we're going to take the bunker sand from the bunkers, and we, we did some more test plots. Um, we bought a piece of equipment called a rotospader. So we're going to take all the bunker sand out of the bunkers and repurpose it into the, into the uh, approach into our soil that's there and blend it to try to create a, a firmer surface to allow that ball to kind of release into the, because if you have firm greens, you really should have firm approaches. Yeah, the, the, the firmness on the approaches is so hard based on the architecture in a lot of cases. And, and then you get, you know, sometimes some, some soft bank grass or soft Bermuda grass because there's. Yeah. you know, no car traffic or anything else. That's so that I, I love anything you can do to firm up approaches. Like you said, especially when you got firm greens, it's super yeah, important. But you hit, you hit the nail on the head, the bent grass, and it's not going to be like a fescue or some of the Bermudas in the South where you can get it. We're going to work real hard on trying to find different ways to deal with that because even on the collar that's built on the greens mix, it's, it's a taller grass and it, it does, it will, it'll stop a ball. The nice thing about this world is we have, cell phones and I usually get the picture so <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you mentioned Bob the uh the variable depth mix that that you're using uh, for the greens and and that's one where we you know went back and forth uh to try to how can we include that in the USGA recommendations obviously there's been some good case studies uh and the, the research is sound from from Michigan State uh, but we kind of drew the line with how much of it, you know, when it comes to actually installing it is an art versus a science. So can, can you walk us through sort of how you actually go about getting that variable depth mix and your decision making and how to go from 12 inches to, you know, your lows and then your highs and, and all that? Well, we did a water release curve with our mix. So we know at, at 16 inches in, at depth, we max out aeration. And then at 10 inches, we max out our capillary. So I'm I'm opposed to going below 12 inches at all on it. And that was a, when we did the project, I asked everybody, how'd you settle on 12 inches? And, you know, there, there wasn't a good answer from a lot of it, but I could understand talking to a lot of people that was, 
given the specs of the USJ mix, that was kind of the average with the specs of the sand, the 12 inches kind of fit in between all those. If you have a really tight mix like ours, you go deeper. If you have a really loose mix, you can go a little shallower. It, it's nice because we did the project in 2007. We had a couple of these design bumps we put in later. In 2007, there was no way I would have made this decision. But we have enough experience on some of those bumps and looking at them and watching them and wishing everything was that way to know that, okay, I know in this, in this one, when Andrew shapes that in that dirt, I know in that swale, and it's all going to be an art and a feel to it. And I'll, I'll remember areas we have where it just held a little wetter, mainly on a front area. If he puts one of his thumbprints in there, like Ross liked to do, that's going to have to be deeper because that ball, if you land it just on the front, that ball needs to be able to release a little bit to the back. It can't, it can't just check. Now, if you have a recent rain event, you're probably going to have some of that. So it'll, it'll be a feel for sure on it. I have, I'm hundred percent confident in the choices we'll make on this that I, I, I think will be very good. Really confident on what McDonald can build. I mean, some of the technology is, it's like science fiction compared to what we did in seven, seven, we use stakes and markers. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is completely different and the build methods too are, are, are so good. You're only going to go deeper you're not going to go shallower than than 12 inches because your your mix is a little too is is tight so it would be yeah i just i fear going i I think you go shallower you're not going to save any money really i mean because the cost of that and i I, you run a risk of being too too shallow and then that capillary starts to creep on you knowing how how good that mix was uh the old mix that that was done redone in 2007 are you are you going to you reuse that at all for for anything yeah, that's going on the on the range tee. Uh, we're going to build, we're going to do the north range tee. It's going to go in drainage and it's going to go in all the tee boxes. So it will all be salvaged coming out of there. Cool. Seeing some of those operators that where they can work with a knuckle, they're going to be able to get pretty close to that pea gravel. And then cool. unfortunately we can't keep, the pea gravel won't be able to be used and we'll, make, we'll have to recycle all the drainage pipe out of there into, into proper areas. Is there sort of a countdown to when the greens are going to get renovated and are you just sort of maxing out your performance, you know, drying them down is just down to nothing before knowing you don't care if the grass lives or dies? My only issue there, and I actually asked our, uh, the vice president, I, we, I asked him this question and I've talked to my chairman at length about it. I mean, they can become unplayable. So the question I have is, I know people would like to play that, but are, there, are you going to be upset when you can't play it? When do I pull the trigger? on that and will mother nature even allow it in ohio i mean we'll push them I mean, we haven't aerified since last spring we did very little aerification last spring even but we did nothing on any of the golf course all summer uh, we didn't do a fall aerification we didn't do a spring aerification because we knew we'll catch up on the fairways but the other stuff it won't matter there's a there's a lot of that but we're still recovering a little bit from last year's beating I mean, we played we played really late into the year um we maintained them we were still mowing greens in the late December. We were, we were pushing and we started, we've been open for what, six weeks, I think, since basically the snow came off. That's the other thing right now, just about survival and just making sure, last thing I want to do is give them a poor plain surface right before we do all this work. So knowing there's a soil component in the new mix that, that you're going with, um, you know, what material are you going to use when it comes to, you know, aeration and top dressing and, and backfilling these things? I mean, we go round and round with that. We've, we've looked at all kinds of different sands. We try to mimic what we build them out of. I am not in season top dresser. 
I, th I think I need to do a better job of that. But the biggest thing I have is if I top dress, Cyber is a busy place. So we, we get worn in those areas. So we really don't get to do the dilution as much as we probably should. We're focused more on remediation. So we use a, you know, the, we use a grading quite a bit. The Vredo has a new sandbox that goes on their turf fix cedar. We're going to look into that a little bit. And we do our, just our hollow tine aerification when we're looking for that remediation component. So we go pretty aggressive on the, on the bookends with that. We really need to focus on keeping the fines out of the top of the mix. And that then, I mean, we've, me and Zach have talked at length about that. It's very hard to find the top dressing sand you need. Now the soil component, you get enough dieback from everything else in that. And if you focus on the remediation and you don't build up as much, then you don't have to worry about the, the dilution as much. So you can try to get it in. I mean, when we, when we open it, it's go time. Nobody, nobody wants us to do that, those other things. They want to play golf. That sandbox attachment for the, uh, for the Vereda is pretty slick. I had an opportunity to see that when I stopped by to see Dunk Norwell Camargo. He has it for his, uh, his cedar and he did it on one of their practice screens. So we, we demoed it here and we actually, it'll be, we need the Vereda for the seeding of the project, but we, picked right. up the sandbox as well i think that yeah. might be really good in approaches for sure. and, and it's some and some of the fracking companies have have the ability to give you the exact sands you want sizing fracking sand is extremely clean it's expensive mm -hmm. so is losing a golf green <laughs> absolutely <laughs> yeah you with your with your sand that you incorporated aeration uh that has the uh the profile added to it too yeah correct? we yeah we do by volume so it's it's whatever we use it's we we usually put the profile in at 20 percent by volume not by weight. So what, what grass you put on the greens, you know, in, that, in the Northeast, some recent, some recent projects have been, you know, ball to straw, wing foot, sleepy yeah. hollow, uh, rebuilding. And, and they, they were POA greens sort of more POA bent to be, to begin with. And they've gone, you know, and sort of kept the POA and reuse, reuse that. So I'm curious to see what, what you guys are doing there. I think most people think I'm crazy, but if, if there was a good perennial POA option, I think I'd use it at this point. I mean, I've seen some of those that are just absolutely spectacular. I think some of the tools that have been given to us that we can use, I mean, POA seems to stand up for, to wear ball marking. It's a really good grass from that on a good root zone. There's just really no option for that. I have three green, three Three mix or three grasses in our nursery green. I will make a trip. Zach knows I've asked this question to him. Every I talked to a lot of different superintendents and I ask I ask everybody that question. What would you do? I mean, a lot of the guys have done it recently. I've already purchased four grasses. I mean, when you seed a hundred and some thousand square feet, it's 125 pounds of seed is all you need. I've got four grasses. We're getting them tested now. I don't know if those are the four. I don't know if I'm gonna blend them. But that one, that's an easy choice. It doesn't have to be made till we drop the seed. That's probably one of the cheapest parts of the whole project is buying the seed. Now the sand, we've already bought a bunch of it. It's stockpiled in a kind of a big airplane hanger type thing out there. That was the more difficult part was trying to acquire all the sands we needed for this. The, the construction industry, not golf course, but everything else is consuming materials at an unbelievable rate. It was very, that's one of probably the biggest fears we've had is making sure they've done a great job getting that we pre-bought and we, I told them if we need to, if we need to buy the rest of it to guarantee they don't send another truck out of there, we'll buy everything we need for the project. We'll pay for it right now. Just to get, I mean, you got to have the sand. You can't just say, well, we've got nine done. No, now we got to go use this sand. They all got to be the same. Yeah. That's one area you can't, <laughs> you can't, you, you can't, can't afford to, there's the, yeah, there's no, there's no second option there. You definitely no. want to, 
you're you not running over to can... the local garden center and getting another hundred ton. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, outside of the putting greens, you know, kind of describe the, the scope of the project and, you know, when, when the start date is and when you think kind of everything will be buttoned up. So we will, McDonald Sons is going to move in June 1st. They're going to uh, demo the North Range tee. The North Range tee is going to be a disposal site for a lot of our greens mix. We're going to rebuild that tee as part of, of, as part of this master plan. Uh, we will close holes 13, 14, 15 on June 14th. Uh, they will work through. The nice thing about those three holes, there are 20 bunkers on those three holes alone. So that's going to give us, anytime you start a project, I know McDonald and Sons has a lot of comfort with Andrew. The two foremen we have are spectacular. So they'll be able to kind of get the style for what he's trying to accomplish at Sayota Country Club. Every project starts slower than you think it should. That'll allow them to kind of complete those holes. So we'll strip the grass off the greens and the surrounds. That mix that's currently there will go to the range tee. They'll get rid of all the other materials. The bunker sand will be stockpiled for the approaches that we're going to blend in. And then they'll shape those features down. We'll have Andrew, I believe, will do a lot of that. We all have committees and boards. Whatever the structure is here for this project, if they decide they have a few or the committee, the project committee will work with Andrew once he shapes and hopefully approve what he does. Then we'll come in and shell out that cavity. Well, they'll map it, and then they'll shell the cavity down, drainage, gravel, mix. Then the irrigation crews will come in, put the irrigation, tie those in. Nice thing about the two-wire versus satellite system once those heads go in, they scan them. We have an as-built, Mike Kuhn's our consultant. He has our as-built ready to go. So we'll be able to just plug and play those as we go. Uh, July 9th, we'll go to 12, 16 and the rest of the back nine, work our way around. And then hopefully if we're flying sometime in late August, we'll be onto the front nine. We've done, we've done two sets of greens here since I've been here. The last two times we seeded everything on the same day. This one, if, if we got nine greens ready to go i'm going to go early on some of the seeding and the growing just to try to take some of the risk out of that one thunderstorm that gets you hopefully all seed will be in the ground labored by labor day for the greens that was kind of the one the really own only non-negotiable part of the project that i had was we we will seed everything by labor day greens now if we have to seed some fairway expansions and some bluegrass areas that can be later. So Labor Day to get to get things sort of all the seed in the ground and then start start growing some grass from there. What's your anticipating opening date? Sometime in May, you know, 10 to 12 weeks of good growing weather. So if we have a great fall, which I hope we do, 2 weeks in the fall is worth one in the spring. So that will that will be the goal. Um, in 2007 when we did it and in 99, I think we were able to open sometime in April to members only. And, and I believe those were walking only times as well. We had really good weather in 2007 in the fall. So maybe we'll get lucky again. I, I know that uh, it's amazing to see how fast the, the crews can move once they kind of hit their, hit their stride, their stride. And, you know, yeah. working with uh, Sleepy Hollow, you know, they were, they were on like a green a week. Same thing with, with Wingfoot. Wingfoot, I think was maybe just a touch slower with the the extra laser scanning, you know, in that, in their process, but it's, it's crazy to see how quickly things can, can progress. So, you know, considering the scale of this project, what are you doing labor-wise? Are you hiring, you know, additional employees, you know, just from a project management standpoint or, or, or what, what does that look like? For us, our big part really doesn't kick off until, you know, once we start late July into August. So we're going to lose a lot of our seasonal employees at that point in time. So 
we're we're blessed here. I have I have three assistants that are Zach will tell you they're they're spectacular. I mean they're they're very good. And then there's there's two guys underneath them that are are just as good. So I think sometimes when you have projects, you get lucky. People kind of see that on the horizon, and some guys stay later and other guys come earlier. Um, we have we'll have some interns kind of try to reach out in the industry and see it would be the perfect opportunity if you were to do an internship, the fall portion of it, because that's that's when the meat of what we do as superintendents will be. Um, I think McDonald's bringing 60 guys. I think Leibold's going to have 25 to 30. Um, we'll have our 25 to 30. Everybody's going to have the same goal. So I think there's a there's an opportunity to do something really special. I mean, it's basically 60 days. I mean, it's 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 the meat of it. I mean, to to get it done. And we'll work Saturdays for a while, but Sundays will be off so the guys can get a chance to rest. Now, if we get weather, Sunday's fair game. I'm looking forward to seeing the project. I mean, obviously, we, yeah, we've any, been talking a lot time. about it. Um, really cool. Really cool. Exciting times at Sayota Country Club. Uh, again, really appreciate you taking the time, Bob and, and Zach, to sort of talk us through everything that's going on. Uh, we'll have to sort of get you back on after everything's uh, back open and, and uh, ready to go come, come May, 2022. Yeah, that'd so, be great. I'll, I'll look about 10 years older. It's <laughs> <laughs> all part of the process, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, again, we really appreciate it. Best of luck. We'll keep our fingers crossed for uh, good weather for you guys. So everything's uh, smooth sailing. So we, we know it's going to be successful, but, but still best of luck. Thank you guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Green Section podcast series. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast through Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the Green Section record by going to usj.org forward slash course care.